good to have you with us here this morning at church. Man, what a great day it's been so far, right? And, and uh, we're only just getting started this morning. Man, today we are in week two of our series. We started last week that we're calling Some Assembly Required. And of course, as you know, if you've been with us, we're talking about relationships. And we're, we're hanging with Paul in Colossians chapter 3. So go ahead this morning, turn there. Uh, we'll be spending our time there today, uh, uh, really centered on there this morning. And we're talking, about, we're hanging with Paul as he talks about relationships. And if you're with us last week, you know we talked about how uh, he started with our relationship with ourself, which of course is wrapped up in our identity, right? And if people look at you, they shouldn't just see you, they should see Christ because you have, as, the, as he says, you have put him on. So when people see you, they should see Christ. And then when you see you, when you look in the mirror, same thing. When you look in the mirror, you see Christ. You see what he's done in you. You see what he's done through you. And, and, and Christ changes our identity, and that's our relationship with ourselves. Now this morning we move from that, we move to our relationship with others. And as we read this passage this morning, we're going to be starting today in verse 12 we're going to notice, we're going to see there's a theme that emerges very quickly about uh, what it means to have a relationship with others, that it's wrapped up in something very clear that this passage talks about, and it starts and stops with forgiveness. Listen today as we read Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 12. It says, put on then. Put on then as God's chosen ones, there's a lot there. I, I can't get into that deeply because I don't have time today. But man, if you think you're here on a mistake or on accident or because you are really smart and everyone else who's not a, not a Christian is, is not smart, you're wrong. God has drawn you in. He loves you. You are holy and beloved, right? He, he put on compassionate hearts. Put on kindness. Put on humility. Put on meekness. Put on patience. Bear with each other, and if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So also you must forgive, and above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And, verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Now notice here, we got first, and then we go into this next part, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful, it says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts, and whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, now this passage today is split up into two parts this morning. And I, I love this. And the, the second part, which is verses 15 through 17 here, that's pretty great, isn't it? Now, can you imagine if that was what your life looked like? You know, the peace of Christ ruling in your hearts, the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and forgiveness and all this stuff. It's just like my home all the time, right? Just like our church all the time. Well, maybe not all the time. But, but that's what we're pressing towards, isn't it? This is the promised land, so to speak. And so this is that part there. It's a promise God's given us for good things. And there's a doorway, though. And the doorway is the first part of this chapter. 
And when you read this first part of this chapter, something is very clear here. There is a theme that's not that hard to see that colors our understanding of how to get to this promised land. And it's not hard to, to see that. And to kind of walk through this today, I, I got to be real today. I got to just explain some parts of my life that are very real. And as you know, I try to be honest about some stuff. And so uh, I'll be honest today, and, and I will mention this as well. Um, I've been told I have to edit my story a little bit because I was kind of wrong in first service. But I'll be honest with you, I didn't know that I was fully wrong. My wife told someone who told me that I was wrong, so I'll just, you know, put that caveat in there. But, but anyway, so 16, or last night, my wife and I, my family, we were out at the Schwarzkopf's house uh, riding snowmobiles. It was fun. Had a great time. And so I was riding the kids around in the, in the, in the back trails. It was fun. And so I said, hey, Lisa, why don't you join me? And she said, no. Now, everyone else in the, in the house, you know, thought one thing, uh, but I knew why she said no. There's a much deeper story here than just no, you see, 16 years ago, before we were married, before we were engaged, we were at a friend's house, at their lake house, we were riding jet skis. And so I took her out, and of course, you know, she's my girlfriend, I was pretty excited about that, she's riding around with me, and you know, being the, the strong, strapping man that I am, I have to, you know, impress my woman on, the, on, a, on a machine that goes fast, and so I'm riding around on, on, on this, this lake, and I wanted to do something that I didn't realize was a no-no. You see, for me, I really enjoy getting thrown off jet skis. And I know I'm weird, but I like, I'll go fast and I'll cut it just so I can fly off the back. It's fun. And so I thought she'd like this too. Okay, I really did. So I had good intentions. I really honestly did. I, I thought she'd like this. And so I'm trying to throw her off the jet ski. And so, you know, she's holding on pretty good. I'm like, fine, you want, you know, I'll show you. And so I throw her off more, and finally I get her off. She flies out the back of the jet ski. And so I thought, that was fun, right? So I come over to her, and her face is like red, okay? And she's angry. And so I pick her up, and she gets on, and she grabs me really tightly, and she says, take me back. And I said, well, don't you want to continue to go? She goes, no take me back. And so, okay. So I ride back very gently, by the way, because I'm starting to get it here. So I ride gently back to the, the, the dock, and she doesn't say a word. She gets up off the jet ski. She steps out of the dock, and she walks in. I said, hold, hold on. Let's, let's go again. And she says, never again am I getting on a jet ski with you. Never. Mark that. And so what she, so she gets back up, and so I start riding around in this bay again, and I was not having a lot of fun because I realized my wonderful, amazing, awesome girlfriend who I wanted to marry is mad at me because I did this to her. And so, and so, and I'll be honest with you, is that ever since that day 16 years ago, that has colored her vision of me driving her around on machines. Now, first service I said she never has. That's not true. I forgot, and I honestly didn't forget. There was one time about, I don't know, 15 years ago, maybe it was, where we were, we were, we were up at my sister-in-law's cabin, and she had to ride with me on a snowmobile. There's two machines, four people. She either stayed at the cabin or she rode with me, and so she didn't have a lot of choice in that matter. But she was like, you better not go fast. That's all I can tell you. But, but, so, but ever since that day, she does not like riding with me. 
So we have a four-wheeler. She's never ridden with me on the four-wheeler. And so when yesterday I said, ride with me, she's like, no, that's the reason why. But this is what I try to do sometimes because I really do want her to ride with me sometimes. I really do. And so I will kind of try to invest in her and I'll butter her up, so to speak. And I, I, I want her to, I got to fix this thing. I, gotta, I, I want her to ride. So I'll say, oh, honey, you know, if you ride with me, I will not go fast. I promise you. I'll, I'll go slow. I'll be kind. I'll be gentle. I'll, I'll do good things. And she says, no, sweetie. She's like, I love you. You're wonderful. You're good to us. You're a great dad. But I'm not riding with you on a four-wheeler, snowmobile, jet ski, or any of the above. So I try to invest in her, and I get this, get that. I try to do things, but it doesn't work out. You see, this is how many of us view our relationships, isn't it? Well, oftentimes our relationships look a lot like my scale. If you have a, if you, if you are a human, you have a certain kind of pre-wired vision or view of how relationships work. And this is, again, how it works, is that you, you invest something in someone, you invest kind words, you invest kind actions in someone because you either want something back from them or you know that you're not perfect and sometime you're going to make a mistake and you've got to pull some credits out of that scale because you got to put things in because you're going to have to make some, some, some withdrawals at some point. And so we oftentimes see relationships and life like this scale. Now, in psychology, there's a word for this, and it's called the emotional bank account. It's the emotional bank account. It's, again, it's a, a, a well-known kind of psychology-related thing that I have to make good deposits in you because at some point, I'll have to take some, some withdrawals out of this thing. And so that's kind of how we, we do this. Now, if you've ever come to the point where you have said that person got what they deserved, they have done enough bad stuff, and so now this bad thing that happened, they've gotten that, you are, you are a victim of this kind of thinking. Let's just be honest. If someone has, has ticked you off and you said, I've reached my limit with that person, well, you have found yourself working through and walking through the emotional bank account at some point too, right? Now, let's get real how this works. Again, real, like I've gotten real, now I'm going to get realer. My wife as you probably have noticed, my wife certainly has, that I'm pretty remarkable. Okay, let's just be honest with this morning. Because I, I at home, I do the dishes sometimes. Um, we have a dishwasher, whatever. I do the dishes. I, 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 if she, she asks me, I'll rub her feet because she's wonderful. Um, if she asks me, I'll rub, her, I'll rub her back. If she needs a night out because the kids are going crazy, you know, she can go to Walmart or Target, which means she can go out and stuff. It's, that's cool. I'm okay with that. And so I've done all these great things in her, and I have to because, again, I'm pretty awesome. But, but the truth is, is that I have to do those things because, let's be honest today, I also sometimes make some mistakes. And so, like, for instance, I leave my, my shoes in our entryway. She hates that. And so she'll throw them out, to the, out in the garage of, like, it's just like, it's just like kind of fight between us, right? We don't fight very much, but on shoes, we do. And, and so she, she'll, she'll put them out there, or I'll leave my socks um, on the floor of our bedroom. I, I do that. So I got to pull some things out. There are times when I say things that I wish I wouldn't have. I'll, I'll, I'll say it I'm like, oh, I should not have said that. I got I to gotta pull out some withdrawals out of the account. And so that's kind of how this works, isn't it? 
Now, now here's what you have to hear today, is that we are all scorekeepers when it comes to relationships. And most often, it's not one-to-ones. Now, let's say you come to my house sometimes. And you, you're like, man, Pastor Steve, um, I want to bless you, so I'm going to come to your house, and I'm going to shovel your driveway, okay? I'm going to make you a steak dinner, whatever you want. I'm making you a steak dinner. Um, my wife did last night, by the way. It was really wonderful. So I got I to, like, you know, put some, some more deposits after those stories I've told. But anyway, so you come to my house, make a steak dinner for us. You, you clean our house. You know, you're just, you, you, t- you say, hey, go out to Go out to dinner with your wife. Take her out. We'll watch your kids. I mean, you, you, you just, all these wonderful things. Well, guess what? That's a point for you. Great job. But then what happens is that if I see you sometime on the road and you are in your work van and your name is on the side of your work van and you are pulled, driving down the street, down the road crazy, and you come up behind me and you look over and you kind of give me this dirty look and you pull it in front of me and you slam on your brakes and you put your arm out like this and that's just that, by the way. You just, you just get mad at me for something. Well, guess what? That's not one point. That's 30 points. I can't believe you. How dare you? Right? That's, see, it's, it's not always one-to-one. Let's say uh, that, we're, that I, I meet you for the first time sometime. I don't, haven't met you or don't know you very well yet. I meet you, and I remember your name. Right? And you're like, man, that's so cool. Pastor Steve, remember my name. Uh, and again, that's not that that's a huge of a deal, but I'm terrible at names. And so I, I do that. And that's like a point for me because, man, I've done a good thing. I remembered your name. But let's say we become, we become Facebook friends and uh, I forget your birthday on Facebook. Well, then that's like 60 points against me because how dare you not put my, a, a, a greeting on my Facebook wall, right? You see, it's not one to one. With relationships, we're scorekeepers, and it's not one-to-one. You see, here's the problem is that our relationships, our lives, our spirits, all these things, they are out of balance when we see the world like this. And again, as believers, God's called us to think differently. This passage today helps us to understand how we are to think differently about these things. This is how this works. And and mind you this morning that five out of six people in the world view God like this as well. Five out of six people in the world that, how do I know? Well, most world religions, everyone except Christianity, views it in a very similar fashion. Many years, several years ago, I was with one of our missionaries in Minneapolis at, a, at, a, at, a, at a, te- a Muslim temple, a mosque. And, and uh, we, he is reaching out to the Muslims, doing a fantastic job. And so I was there just seeing what he was doing, visiting him for the day. And he's, he knows them by name. And he's building relationships. It's so cool how he's doing this and, and, and helping them. And, and so we had the privilege of standing up in this mosque as they did their day of prayer, their hour of prayer. And it was it was, it was heartbreaking. It was fascinating. It was all these things wrapped up into one. And I will never forget standing in this place while hundreds of young men, middle-aged men, old men came pouring in off the street at one time, took their shoes off, and hundreds are bowed down all over this room, and they're worshiping uh, the way that they see God. So they're, 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 they're going through this whole motion, and they're going through this stuff, and they do this because the Quran teaches in Sirah 21 that everyone's good and bad deeds will be weighed out at judgment. 
Do you realize that this passage in the, the Quran says that an angel will bring a scale at the end? And that every deed they do, that even means little tiny ones as small as a mustard seed, are going to matter and are going to be accounted for. Every other world religion and thought process sees life like this. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. You scratch my back, I'll help you. You don't help me, you don't serve me, I won't help you, I won't serve you. That's how the world sees relationships. But God modeled a different way to do it. See, God modeled forgiveness and relationships by tipping the scales in our favor by forgetting the past and forgiving us here and now and all the way to the future, right? I mean, look at again, chapter uh, 3, verse 13. It says, it says it, this is a key to understand forgiveness. It says, bear with one another. That's an important passage. Now, now some translations say, make allowance for each other's faults. In other words, you, and it says, you must forgive. It doesn't say you probably should, or it's a good idea. It says you must forgive. Now, I want to think a little bit today about the promise and the call of our text. Because the, the promise here is, as the Lord has forgiven you, that's you know, how do you forgive? Well, that's the call. As the Lord's forgiven you, the, that's the promise. The call is, so you also must forgive. That's the promise and the call of, us, of our text. But before I get deeper into this, a couple of things I have to walk through today when it comes to forgiveness. And this is the first one, is that forgiving is not forgetting or condoning. It's releasing. Now, you have to hear that. This morning, forgetting or forgiving is not forgetting. Forgiving is not condoning. It's releasing. There's a terrible thought process out there that says, well, if I'm going to forgive, I have to forget. Or that's forgiveness is forgetting. Or, or you know, forgive and forget. That's, that's, that's not true. It's not how it works. Because if you want that to be the case, you're going to try to forget and you're not going to be able to forget. Right? It's like I'm trying to forgive, but they're still there. The situation is still there. How can I ever forgive if the person I want to forgive is still in front of me? I can't forget. And so, so this is the problem that many of us have is that that's not forgiveness. We also think forgiveness means that I have to, if I forgive them, I'm condoning what they did, which could not be further from the truth. We think, well, if I forgive them, that means that I'm okay with what they did. I'm not, and so I can't forgive because if I do, they'll think it's okay. But, but here's the deal, and this is why this is so cool that God framed this passage in what he did for us. God forgave you. Do you think when God forgave you that he condoned your sin while he was forgiving you? Of course not. See, forgiveness is not condoning. Forgiveness is releasing. It's releasing the person from responsibility for what they did to you or against you. See, that's the word here that this speaks about. And I heard this illustrate one time like this. It says, unforgiveness is a poison you drink and expect someone else to die from. you got to stop drinking the poison this morning. So, so forgiving is not forgetting or condoning. It's releasing. Number two, you can forgive and still have boundaries. Forgiveness does not mean you have to continue to be harmed, continue to be abused, or remain in places that are toxic and, and, and destructive, and you just have to take it. 
I, I've heard before that happened where people say, well, I've forgiven them, so I'm going to continue to be abused. That's not how it works. You are not made to be like this. You see, this passage here is framed this idea that because you are God's chosen ones, you are holy, you are beloved, you see, that speaks a greater truth. That's who you are. You don't have to be a doormat that someone wipes their dirty feet on and God says, that's your role for the rest of your life. Continue to be a dirty format that people can wipe their feet on. That's not it. You are chosen. You are holy. You are beloved. That's what God speaks about you. And he is not told or made it happen that you have to be this kind of person. You can forgive and have boundaries. Next one is forgiveness is a decision in the heart before it's a feeling in the heart. If you are waiting to feel forgiveness, you're going to wait to feel forgiveness for the rest of your life. Because, because feelings don't drive this thing of forgiveness. What has to happen is you have to make a decision to forgive first, and then come the feelings, and the decision is the engine, the feelings are the caboose. And you can't get those two things backwards because they're not. It's a decision you make, and then as you do this, as you follow God's call, he starts putting this heart inside of you to feel it and not just decide it. And then the next one, forgiveness is offensive, or unforgiveness is offensive in the, great of fate, in the face of great forgiveness. What does that mean? Well, I heard a story one time about Johnny Cash, the man in black, and everyone loves Johnny Cash. Uh, if you don't, well, I'm sorry, but I, I do. And so uh, it's a lot of great things from his life. He had an up and down life. He had quite a, a story. And so Johnny Cash is playing a concert one time in a small town, very small town. And, and this small town was so small, they didn't have a, a, a venue. So they were in a, 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 an old tent, and there was, there was sawdust on the floor, and, and Johnny and his band are playing in this small town. And there's this little boy in the front, uh, the, the front row uh, listening. And this little boy is obviously quite poor. He has no shoes, uh, dirty, uh, torn, unkempt clothes, hair messy. And just obviously this kid is, is poor and, and struggling. And so Johnny notices this boy, though, like everybody else does in the band, notices this little boy admiring the guitar of his, of his guitar player. Now, you have to know this, that the guitar of his guitar player is not Johnny Cash's guitar. It belongs to the guitar player. And it's a pretty nice one. And so this boy is admiring this. And at the end of the concert, Johnny says, hey, man, give your guitar to that little boy. And his guitar player says, I don't think so. Easy for you to say, it's not your guitar. He said, that thing's worth $1,000. He said, I'm, I've had that for years. I'm not giving it up. And Johnny looks at him sternly and says, I don't think you understood me. He says, give him your guitar. I've got plenty more, Johnny says. Give it to him. And so this guitar player notices his boss is like, pretty serious right now. And so his, the guitar player says, fine. So he takes his guitar and very angrily and reluctantly goes out to this area, finds the boy, and gives him his guitar. And it's like he's like, you know, got to you know, pull out his, his, his hands. He's not, he's not happy about doing this. And, but he gives the guitar away. The guitar is worth $1,000. It's beautiful. And he was pretty upset about this. Now he thought, well, what do I do now? 
we have a show tomorrow night, and I have no guitar. And so this man is concerned, so he, he kind of walks back to his hotel room, opens his door, and finds on his bed not a $1,000 guitar, but finds on his bed a $6,000 Gibson. It's beautiful. It's one of Johnny Cash's favorite guitars. And there's a note attached to this guitar, and it says this. It says, don't ever show that much selfishness in the face of such great need again. Could it be that we treat forgiveness or unforgiveness and grace in a similar fashion? See, the problem was, was that the guitarist forgot who he was teamed up with. He forgot that the person who told him to forgive or told him to give the guitar away, the same person had an unlimited supply of guitars and had more cash than he ever could imagine. You see, he forgot who he was dealing with. And see, we are teamed up with God who has an unlimited amount of mercy, and it's our call to act similarly. And this is what's so good, is that when we walk like God's called us to, there's joy, there's blessing. As this passage here says, it says, then the peace of God will rule in your hearts. See, then that happens. When we walk like he's called us to, then the peace of God happens in our lives. You see, we can because we are under a promise of great forgiveness. It matters. Jesus so clearly shows this in the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18. You know, the story that this man is is a servant. He is a day, day laborer. He makes very little wages. He finds himself in a place where he owes much. He owes 10,000 talents, which is equivalent to 20 years' wages. This man is found out, and he goes to the king, and he tells the king, he says, I can never pay this back. He says, will you forgive me? And, and the king, of course, forgave him of 20 years. Of, can you imagine that? I mean, if you're Carl Schwartz, that, that's, 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 like, that's like $20 million, right? But, but no, you know, he's, he's going on and he's going on. He's like, can, he, can you imagine being forgiven of 20 years of wages just like that? It had to be an amazing feeling. We know the rest of the story, don't we? He walks out of the, he walks out of, uh, of the king's chambers and he finds a fellow servant who that fellow servant as well um, also uh, finds he is owed a denarius, which is a day's wage. So a day's wage he has, and so a day's wage he is owed, and he, the Bible says he chokes this man, and he chokes him and says, pay up, I'll have you thrown in a prison if you don't pay me. And the king hears about this, he is incensed, the Bible says, and he pulls this servant back into his quarters and says, I forgave you 20 years wages, how dare you not forgive that person of one day's wage? And he throws him in prison. Isn't it interesting? That this king would forgive 20 years of wages like that, but yet finds unforgiveness a thing that cannot be dealt with. That's fascinating. You see, church, in the face of such great forgiveness, unforgiveness is offensive. And that's not just bad or like, oh, I can't forgive. That's good news. It's good news because, because true forgiveness makes allowance for the future. True forgiveness makes allowance for the future. Now, this is how this works. Verse 13 again says, it, I'll, I'll make allowance for each other's faults. See, Paul takes the idea of forgiveness and he adds a, a spin and he adds more things onto it. It isn't just 
talking about how you forgive somebody in the moment when they wrong you. What he's talking about here is talking about making allowance for the future because you have to assume that someone else in your life is going to wrong you at some point. Lisa, I'm sorry. I love you with all my heart. You are wonderful. You're great. You're, you're amazing. I'm going to probably wrong you at some point. You see, that's the truth, isn't it? You see, here's the deal this morning, is that God's called us to make allowance for the future. To, to, to do this, this thing, and again, I, and what this means is I put, I put credit on your side expecting that at some point you are going to offend me, you're going to wrong me. Church friend this morning, you can be a person who gives mercy richly because you have access to an unlimited supply. Amen? This morning, that's the truth today. You have access to an unlimited supply. My, my daughter, Emmy, who I'm glad she's not in here because if she was, she would grab these coins and steal them because she loves pennies. Not steal, like literally steal, but she, she loves pennies. I, she loves coins. She collects them. She has hundreds stashed all over our house. We find like little pockets of pennies. I'm like, where'd that come from? Uh, who knows? But she doesn't do this because she wants to like hoard them. She does this because she loves them. And I will find her in the craziest moments. I'll find Emmy look like picking up pennies. I remember one time we were at Walmart here in Monticello. And uh, we were walking down the aisles. We're all together having a great time. And we turn around and Emmy's gone. Where's Emmy? I don't know. Did you? I don't, where's she? I don't know. So we're looking for Emmy, and she is in the next aisle over that we just came from, and she is on the floor of Walmart, and she is down there picking up a penny that is stuck to the ground. Now, I don't know how it happened because, you know, but it was sticky and nasty, and she is trying to pick it up. She is down on the ground, just like, Emmy, leave it there. And she's like, Daddy, I can't, it's a penny. And I said, sweet, it doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't, you know, who cares? She's like, Daddy, I can't leave it. And I pull my pocket, I pull up three or four. I said, sweetie, here you go. Just, just leave that one and take those, whatever you have to do. And she's like, thank you, Daddy. And then all of a sudden, bam, this one doesn't matter because Daddy is an unlimited source of pennies. I, I have a, a, a football at home. It's a, my bank, and I have to hide it from her. Because if I don't hide it, she'll go and she'll raid it and she'll take it. And you know what she says? Well, Daddy, you have more. You always have more. You see, she knows her daddy is an unlimited source of pennies. See, true forgiveness makes allowance for tomorrow by loading the, the accounts of everyone else with credit. You can't offend someone who makes it impossible to be offended. As the band comes forward this morning, our culture needs to hear this, right? We live in a culture that is emerging out of Christian th thoughts, a, a culture that is rejecting the way Jesus has called us to live and going in a different direction. I'm not being negative, I'm being honest, right? It's just how it, how it is. Is it any wonder that one of the hallmarks of our culture is that our culture is easily offended? Our culture is easily angered. Our culture finds it impossible to think about how you could let someone else have a different opinion from yours. Is there any wonder that the reason for that is possibly because they are moving away from what God's called us to? Church, we have been called to think differently. 
We have been called to see the world through a different set of eyes. Who am I? I am not my own. I am bought with a price. Who am I? I am not Steve Royalty. I am a dead man walking. Who am I? When I look in the mirror, I don't see Steve. I see Jesus because I put him on every single day. And because of that, and because I've been forgiven of much, the word says and speaks that has a promise that because of that, I can forgive greatly. Do you have to see this not as being I have to forgive? It's such a burden to forgive. How will I ever do this? You are releasing God's power. You are releasing God's strength. You are releasing his credits into your life and saying, God, I'm not taking responsibility for that person. It's yours. I release them into your hands. And today, man, you have to hear this this morning. God forgave so you can forgive other people today. And that's good news this morning. When God tells you to forgive, he's not just telling you to forget the past, he's telling you to release it. Now you say, well, how can I do this? How is this possible? Some of you have some deep down things and you think, "Mm -mm, not this, too much. I have credit for some things. I can forgive my husband or I can forgive my for throwing me off of a, of, of a jet ski, and hopefully she will someday, but, but no, I can forgive. Just kidding. She's forgiven me. I can forgive some things, but not that. How will I ever do this? Well, see, you serve a God. You have been forgiven by a God who has an unlimited supply of credits. And so when he says here, he's, you say, how can I forgive God? He says, I have enough. When you say, God, how can I do this? Lord, what can I do? Lord, God, it's too much. I can't forgive. What they did to me is too much. It's too great. It's too huge. I've got mercy for days, he says. I've got all the credits that you possibly need. And I have stacked the bank in your favor. And I've given you enough. Hallelujah. And if you run out of of credits, he's got more. If you run out of that, he's got more on top of that. You see, church, this morning, that's the kind of God that you serve. Come on, someone, this morning. Give God some glory today. Hallelujah. Come on today. Come on this morning. And see, tomorrow you can keep reaching back. I've run out of pennies this morning. But you know what the Word says? It says in Lamentations chapter 3, it says, His mercy His mercy is new, what? Every morning. So Lord, great is your faithfulness. I may run out today. And you have to hear this this morning. You may run out today. Tomorrow's a new day. Would you stand across this room this morning with me if you could? Tomorrow's a new day. And that's not just an idea that I had that sounds really good. Ah, tomorrow's a new day. No, that's what the Word says. That's a promise that God's given us. You see, when He gives promises that He he has forgiven us, when the call comes to, to do what He's promised us to do, guess what? He has enough there to provide for us. You see, His mercy is new every morning. He says freely in Matthew, freely you have received freely give. And again, as verse 15 says, now the promise and the peace of Christ will rule your hearts. Bow your head, close your eyes this morning. Jesus, I have been wronged. Lord, 
you have been wronged. Lord, I've, I have wronged you. Lord, all of us this morning are in the same boat. We have been wronged. We have wronged, and we have wronged you. And Jesus, you have forgiven us richly and deeply. And that forgiveness is not only a position we have as being forgiven, it's also the power to use that same forgiveness and to give it to someone else, the Lord, because I don't want to live under a life, God, where my whole future and my whole thing is tied to what someone else did to me, Lord. I want to release them. I want to forgive them, Lord, and let you deal with them. And I want to do what you've called me to, Lord Jesus. And I want to walk in freedom. Can someone else this, this morning say amen with that? I want to walk in freedom and then let the peace of Christ rule my heart when I walk like he has that's why I love how you frame this promised land these good things you frame this Lord and the what you did for us in forgiveness bow your head close your eyes again keep them closed this morning this is a sensitive subject it's a hard subject it's one that comes up more than just about anything I talk. I talk to people about struggles. This is it. I myself have had to deal with some deep hurt in my life. And I will tell you that the door to the promised land is a door that looks a lot like Jesus. And Jesus did something for you and I that was great. And he is, as he forgave, he released, and you can too. The band's going to play this morning for a few moments, and we're going to allow God to minister in your life. Prayer team, as you come forward this morning, and line this, this front, if God's working in your life right now, you have something you need to walk through or to pray through. These people here are, are here to love you, and they're not going to talk about this. They're not going to blab and say it. They're going to love you, and they're going to pray with you through this. And maybe you want to find a spot, just you and Jesus, and pray. That's, that's cool, too, but... This morning, I want to allow God to speak to you like this. And I want you to ask God the question, Lord, are there places in my life where I have, I too need to, need to throw away the scales? Where I need to dump out mercy, not because it's been deserved, but dump out mercy because I can. Because you have first given me mercy, so now I can with someone else. Let God speak to you this today. This is a sensitive subject. I understand that this morning. But I also know that you serve a God who can forgive. And you also, you, so because of that, you serve a God who has given you enough to treat others like he has treated you and to forgive and to release them. And that is awesome. To live like that is awesome. And maybe today you're here and you would, the person you have the biggest problem with is not in this room standing because that person is in this room, but they're not standing here. It's God, and you have a problem with God. Because God's done this or done that to you, and I want to encourage you today, if that's you, the same thing applies. God has forgiven you. He has poured out mercy upon you. You know it. You can turn forgive. Again, heads bowed, eyes closed this morning. You're in this room today, and you would say, Pastor Steve, I need help in this area. And, and notice my hands, don't notice because your heads are bowed, but they are. My hands are raised both 
raise. Because I need help in this area too. If that's you, you'd say, I need help in this area. I need, I need God's power to forgive. Would you raise your hands across this room this morning? Say, Jesus, that's me. <laughs> this is a sign, yes. It's a sign of weakness. Absolutely, that it is. It's a sign that says, God, I don't have it all together. My life's not perfect. Things happen. I mess up. Things happen. But Jesus, I need your power, Lord, to help me to walk and release people, Lord, and not, not, not try to judge them and not try to hold on to the past, but release the past and allow you to minister. And then, Jesus, I need your grace today. We need your grace tomorrow. We need your grace the next day. Lord, so we can continue to pour that grace out upon others. If that's you today, again, raise your hands across this room and say, Lord, that's me. That's me, Lord Jesus. I need that this morning. God, I pray for each hand that's raised. Speak to us. There might be someone in this room. There might be someone outside this room. There might be a parent, a friend, a family member, a co-worker, a, a person that you have cut ties with, a, a person who doesn't, whoever this morning, that you have to deal with this morning. You might need to ask forgiveness, or you might need to extend forgiveness. And I will say, you'll need help in that. Jesus, help us. Lord, to walk in a, in a, in a life where we throw away the scales. Lord, where we continue to pour out mercy credits on others like you have poured out on us. And Lord, to not be easily offended, but treat others the same way you've treated us, Jesus. With grace and mercy, I pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. And everyone says, amen and amen. Is God good this morning or what? Give God some glory today. Hallelujah.